Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our hearts and lives. Father, we just pray for uh, an increase in these things. Lord, we pray that you would help us to uh, step into new things. Father, to rise up in the things of God in our lives. Father, to put you where you uh, deserve to be in our lives. Father, at the very head, to be number one. And uh, Father, we, we read in your word about Jesus, who uh, is the chief cornerstone. He is the head of the corner. He is the one who holds it all together. And Father, we look to Jesus today because it's all about him. This is his church. He is building it. And we are so pleased to be part of that. And we thank you for the privilege of being involved in building your kingdom, of seeing your rule and your authority being established on this earth. And Father, we pray that you'd help each and every one of us to rise up into the gift that you have put within us. Father, that we might know your presence. Father, that we might uh, have faith rise within our hearts to see the things happen which you have already spoken about. Uh, Lord, help us to move into those things and to know your presence as we do it. Father, help us to seek you and put you first in all that we do in our lives. And Father, in all the things uh, just that we uh, find our hands doing, Father, we pray uh, that you would bless each of those things. And Father, help us to, to, to really find our place, to find our niche. Father, we pray for your word as we uh, just stop to consider it for a moment today. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us through it. And may we know your hand upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our series that we've been, we just kind of kicked off uh, two weeks ago uh, was Living Together. Uh, God has called us as his church to live together. And uh, in the passage that we were to consider, John chapter 13 through to 17, I hope you've read through that, been meditating on it. But in that, Jesus says two things which I think are really fundamental, they're foundational when it comes to the church, when it comes to living in unity. The last message was Jesus' command that we should love one another. That was what Jesus commanded his disciples, love one another. And that was something that was to carry down through the generations all the way to us. And then in John chapter 17, we read how Jesus' prayer uh, was for unity uh, and, and really kind of praying that the disciples would come together in unity and also that we in 2019 as the church would come together in unity. I don't know if you can imagine the position that Jesus is in here. When he's saying these things, if you've read these passages, What's happening here is that Jesus has come to the end of his life, almost to the end of his life on earth. The moment's about to come when he's going to be crucified for our sin. They're going to put him on a cross. He's going to experience horrible things from other human beings. And he's going to go through a time where he was so distressed that the Bible says that when he was in that garden praying, that when he was sweating, it was blood that was coming out. He was so distressed about what was going to happen. And in the moments before he's in the garden, he's with his disciples. We talk about the Last Supper. You've probably all seen the, the, the painting of the Last Supper. This is the setting where he begins to say these things. He says these things to his disciples, love one another. And while his disciples are still there, in John 17, he begins to pray for his disciples. I don't know if you can imagine yourself being in that moment. If this was you in that moment, what would you want to say to the people who are closest to you? You would want to say, I think I would want to say 
the things that really matter to me, the things that are really important to me. That's what I want, would want to share with those who are round about me. And Jesus talks about loving one another. And his prayer is that the disciples and that the church would be one. And it's a prayer that needs to be answered every day for you, for me, for the church, because the church is continually being added to day by day. And we as the church need day by day to learn how to be one, to learn how to live together, to love together, to serve together. And I'm going to read, I'm going to cut short the reading because somebody's been taking up all my time today. I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Martin, what you like. I'm going to read from John uh, chapter 17 and verse 20. Hopefully, you'll have read the passages before that. But I really want to focus on Jesus' prayer for all believers, the prayer for us as well. And this is what he says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Can you imagine what would have happened if nobody had believed the disciples' message, that Jesus had risen on the third day and had appeared to all these hundreds of people, and then had actually ascended back into heaven to be with his Father. These guys knew that this message was real, and they convinced other people exactly that it was real, and other people believed, and so we are here today. He's, he prays for them that all of them, verse 21, may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Pause to think about that. There's a reason for Jesus praying this, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Ever since 9-11, there's been a rise in what is called the new atheism. Uh, it's basically the old ideas that were promoted in atheism years ago, which have been regurgitated and represented uh, into our world. And there's a growing kind of apathy about the church, and there's a growing rise in secularism and all of these things. And this challenges me because I think the world needs to know who Jesus is. And the way that they'll see who Jesus is, is by that being demonstrated in the church that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's our responsibility. How does God answer Jesus' prayer that they may be one? How does He answer that? He answers that by us responding to what He's saying and deciding to do something about it. Deciding to put ourselves aside, and we'll come on to that next week. Oh, I can't wait to next week's message. Oh, I've been preparing next week's as well. This is what he says, verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity. This is Jesus' prayer for the church today in 2019, for you and for me. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. 
I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What an incredible prayer. It's just so powerful. Jesus is praying for us, and we need to get that. We need to get that he's praying for us. Can I encourage you to keep reading those verses, to meditate on them, to ponder over them? He says, my prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And what does he pray? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. What does it mean? What does this whole thing, glory, mean? What does it mean to have been given glory? I was kind of thinking about how how do do you illustrate this? How do you talk about this? And I kind of thought about the way that we can be transformed and, and have a particular type of glory. You know, if you've, I'm into nature, as most of you know, and there's something, I took a picture of uh, a little wood anemone uh, up in the north of Scotland somewhere, and I just, I was blown away by this tiny little plant that just flourishes along the river bank, and it has its own particular kind of glory. You just look at it and you think, that's beautiful. It made me think about maybe a more kind of practical example. Uh, I'm not really into this stuff, but some of you guys will be. This is a picture of the same woman, one taken before makeup and probably a little bit of Photoshop, okay? And then the second one after makeup and maybe just a tad of Photoshop, okay? One type of glory, an ordinary person, okay? I think this girl looks fine the way she is without makeup, let me say. This is a big deal, isn't it? I could get off on a side Uh, on a tangent on this subject. But it's amazing how somebody can be transformed through makeup. And actually, the side issue is important. It's amazing how fake our world is. It's amazing how fake it all is. Every, see to to the young people, okay? The young people, every image that you see in a magazine or on TV has been doctored in some sort of way. And it gives us this idea that beauty is... The, the girl on the, the right uh, rather than the, the girl on the left. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that beauty comes from within, okay? You can be the most gorgeous-looking woman in the world, but if you're a bit of a battle axe, well, nobody's going to want to be around you. It's what comes from the inside that really matters. So we're talking about glory. We're talking about being changed, so you can see the contrast in this picture, makeup, no makeup, all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't think God's into vanity, but God is into vitality. God is into life. God is into giving us life. God is into changing us, seeing us transformed from one thing into another. And it's not about what's on the outside, it's about what's on the inside. You see, we're not being transformed into another person through making up the outside And that's what Christians do a lot. Christians do that. They come to church, and it's like they've got the makeup on. How are you doing? Fine. Right? And we all know when you look that person in the eye, and you go, are you really fine? Sam's. 
Are you really fine? I'm fine. Yeah? Thank you. He's fine. I was just checking. You looked as if you were nodding off there. Okay. <laughs> you see, we, we put on the makeup and we make ourselves out to be what we're not. How are you doing in your life? I'm fine. Actually, I'm struggling with this really awful temptation. I'm struggling with sin. I've let God down and all this stuff's going on inside of me and I feel rubbish. And the problem is when that happens to people is that they want to opt out of church. I can never understand that. When we're feeling like that, that's the time when we need to be in church around God's people, just coming before God and knowing His presence and knowing His Word into our lives and just knowing what God is wanting to say to us. That's when we need to be in church. The problem is that these are the times when people disappear and the church is no longer one. We're fragmented. We need to come into God's presence. The only way we're going to be transformed and be like Him is if we can see Him. We see Him as we come together as church. I was thinking about glory and what does it mean? I'm going to put up another picture. Oh, isn't she beautiful? Isn't she? Really? I remember this wedding and looking at Kate and thinking, man, she's a bit of a stunner. She just looks amazing. This, just this glory radiates from the bride. And, you know, I was trying to find some kind of before and after pictures. You know, the bride, is, is she's kind of like having her hen party the night before. And then the bride on, on the, the big day we all are, I couldn't find any. Uh, so I just had to kind of stick with the finished article. But a bride has a particular kind of glory, doesn't she? And you've probably been in church where the organ plays, bet, I was tempted to ask you to come and play, here comes the bride, all dressed in white. The organ plays, and we're all standing to receive the bride, and down she comes, down the aisle. I've, I've had the privilege of being at the front and watching the bride coming down, getting ready to marry a couple. And the bride looks radiant. She's just glowing. There's a glory about the bride on her, on her day. Could you imagine, could you imagine saying to the groom on the day of the wedding, by the way, I don't like that dress. <laughs> Who did that makeup? That's rubbish. Oh, who did that here? They've just made a total mess of it. Have you ever said that at a wedding? I've never said that at a wedding. I look at every bride that's at a wedding and I go, wow, she looks amazing. What are you laughing at, Cook? <laughs> you look at the bride and you think she just looks stunning. Here's one of the things that the Bible says about the church. The church is likened to the bride of Christ. That's what we've to be like. We've to be like the bride of Christ. Glorious, looking fantastic. Remember, we're talking about being one here. Imagine what it's like in the church. We say to the groom, we're praying, and we're saying, by the way, see that person? Their attitude stinks. That person, you need to sort them out. And we begin to criticize the bride of Christ to Jesus. Read Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Living a Life Together. Okay, read the book. 
And there's a chapter in that that talks about us criticizing the bride, criticizing each other. And here's the thing. We're not the finished article yet. This is the bride on her big day. We're not the finished article. The church is not finished yet. We are still in the process of being transformed day by day, moment by moment, into His likeness. We're work in progress. I'm work in progress. You might think you're the finished article, but let me tell you, you're not. I remember the days as a young guy, even in this church, thinking, I've made it. I've grown in God. What else is there for me to know? I'm the bee's knees. Pride. Arrogance. If only I could have seen it. Don't criticize the bride before her big day. And even on her big day, don't criticize the bride. This is the church of God that we're talking about. Does that mean to say we can't correct people when they make mistakes? Of course we can. But how do we do that? How do you like to be corrected if you're kind of straying off the path? Do you like it when somebody comes along and goes, yeah, I don't. I don't like getting a slap when I get it wrong. I know what that feels like. The point is that we're all in the process of being transformed into His likeness. Let me read a few verses from 2 Corinthians. I think these are important verses 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through to 18, it says, But when, uh, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The context of what Paul is talking about here, and we'll come to the rest of the passage in a minute, is the glory of the old covenant, the law which Moses brought down from the Mount of Sinai. And uh, we read about that in Exodus 34, 29 to 35. And it says that his face shone. He'd been in the presence of God. And when he came down off Sinai, his face was glowing. And, you know, he was coming to share what God was saying to the people. And they had to ask him to put a veil on. His, his face was covered. They couldn't look on him. Verse 17. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We've entered into a new covenant, a grace covenant. And I find that wonderful, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. The King James Version talks about glory to glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are the bride of Christ. We are a work in progress. We are being transformed into His likeness. And can I ask that we don't criticize the bride until she's ready? And she'll not be ready until the day when God comes back, when Jesus comes back for his bride. The Bible talks about a time when Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take the church to be with himself. Those who have died in Christ will be raised to life. We who are left, the Bible says, will be caught up to meet him in the air. What an incredible thing! What's heaven like? awesome. So we're to be one because God has given us His glory, transformed into His likeness. And let me say, the more transformed into His likeness we are, the more that we will see Christ in other people. I should be able to see Jesus in you. You should be able to see Jesus in me. And it's Him 
that brings us together. Martin was correcting me during the week. He said, see that slide you had up last week with the stones? It was missing something. It was missing the mortar in between the stones because Jesus is the mortar that brings us all together. Well done. Ten out of ten, right? You're going to be preaching next week, okay? <laughs> We're a work in progress, and it is Jesus that links us together. Listen to what Romans 12 uh, chapter 1 and 2 says, therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. One of the ways that we do that is expressing our praise through song. I remember the days when I had less confidence and I was really quite uptight about jumping about in the house of God and dancing and raising hands and all that kind of weird stuff that we do. Do you know when that changed? It changed when I got over myself. I'm an introvert at heart. I am. I'm a quiet, shy person at heart. But see jumping about in the house of God. There's a song that was playing earlier from our from the Toto friends, God's Great Dance Floor. Do you know, what's that song all about? I'm not really sure, but I love it because it's filled with joy and you can jump up and down in the house of God and enjoy being in His presence. It's our spiritual act of worship. It's one of many ways that we worship God by dying to ourselves and making ourselves a living sacrifice, getting rid of the old person, being transformed from glory to glory, being transformed as it says here, through the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I've got lots of notes here, but I'm going to try and wrap things up. Um, we will look at these. Uh, there's kind of things that you can look at in the Connect group. Um, I'm going to jump to thinking about oneness and witness. Uh, Slide 14. Uh, I don't know which one's slide 14. Pass all this stuff. Did I pass it? Okay. Listen to what it says here. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me you imagine yourself being in the room when this has been prayed? Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me uh, because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. John is an incredible gospel, incredibly theological, echoes of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Read the beginning of Genesis, and you'll see the parallels. Describing this incredible person, Jesus, the insights that John had were phenomenal. I'm losing my place in my notes because I've skipped some places. Let me ask this question. In our country, can the church, can people honestly say that the church is one? Can they honestly say that? It's a real challenge. 
We're talking about oneness and witness. What do we say to the world? What do we say to those who are not in the church yet? What is the church? Not just us, you and me as individuals, us as a church, but the church across West Lothian, let's say, or Scotland. What does the church say to community? Does it say that we're all together? Does it say that we're one? Does it say that we're united in heart and purpose? It's a real challenge because the church is divided. There are theological issues that divide us. There are eschatological issues that divide us. There's a big word. I just thought I'd throw that in there because it'd be funny to see everybody's reaction. (laughs) What does the church look like? That's what it's saying. There are issues of how the church should look and function that we differ on. There's issues in our doctrine. We teach sometimes different things because we pick up the Scriptures and we have different interpretations. And the sad thing is that there are areas where we are divided, and these create fault lines within the church. And I can only think that we can pray. It's the only thing I can think of to do is to pray that God brings His church together as one almost finished. There are some keys in all of this that I think, and we'll begin to open these up over the next few weeks. The first one is oneness and humility. When we're looking at the subject of resurrection, as we did on Easter Sunday, we had to recognize that before there can be a resurrection, there needs to be a death. Jesus is asking us to rise up into a newness of life. We use the term born again in the church because John uses that in chapter 3 of his gospel. We need to be born again. There needs to be a spiritual birth within us. But the old life, the life that causes us to be divided, that's what needs to be taken off and thrown to the side. Unless that old life dies, there can't be a resurrection into new life. What needs to die? Well, we need to die to ourselves. And that's a hard thing to do. Because in everybody's book, self is important. We need to die to our egos. We need to die to comparing ourselves to others, to pride, to a low view of ourselves and to low self-esteem. All of these things stop us from walking in humility before God. And we'll talk about that more next week. And there's a little book that you can buy, uh, electronic version, whatever you use, uh, by Timothy Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Can I encourage you to read it? It's just a short book. We need to forget about ourselves. That's what humility is. It's we stop trying to be what we're not, whether we're proud or whether we're down in the gutter and thinking, woe is me, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, you know the rest doesn't matter where you fit in the scale, God's asking you to forget about yourself and to allow His life to rise up within you. There's a second thing that I thought about, and it's the oneness in being wounded. You know, sometimes it's our times of great need and turmoil and distress and grief. It's sometimes those times that bring us together really as one, because the other times we can be so distracted by life that we forget about other people, we think about ourselves, but when there's a crisis, we come together as one. And we find the person of Christ in our brother and sister. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, 
when there are issues in our life, can we go to somebody else in the church and find Christ in that other person? Because that's what God is asking us to be, to be transformed, to be that beautiful bride so that we can find Christ in other people. In Jesus' most critical hour, this was what was on his mind. This is what brought them together. Okay, the disciples deserted Jesus, but after that, they came together as one. And then lastly, oneness and purpose. And as we've seen through looking at the acts of the Spirit of Christ, working in and through the apostles, their purpose was clearly to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the church in 2019 is no different. That's why we're total are here. They're here to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I was just chatting with Brian last night, and uh, we're total have been in Japan. I was amazed at that. A country where there's a very, very small church, and they have been witnesses and ambassadors for Christ in that country. That just blew me away. I was like, that's fantastic. And I take my hat off to you guys. That means I salute you, I celebrate you. I'm thankful for what you do and keep doing it, and keep doing it well as you do. You know, over the next few weeks, we're going to look at different levels of unity, and uh, really consider what it means to be united as a church, to be united as people. And, uh, you know, I, my, my, my hope is that we become a healthy, a healthy air church. A divided church can't be healthy. My hope is that we begin to grow as a church. A divided church can't grow. God can't bless a divided church. Can't do it. Read Psalm 133. If you're in any doubt about that, read Psalm 133. God commands a blessing when brothers and sisters live together in unity. And in order to do that, there are some things about us that need to fall by the wayside. Musicians, please come back up. We're going to uh, pray, and then we're going to take up our offering. If you're visiting with us, don't feel under any pressure uh, to put anything in the offering. It's not an issue. Uh, it's really for uh, people who call the church home here. Um, but let's pray, and uh, let's really seek uh, God's blessing on what we do today. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the way that it was birthed. Father, we thank you for every person who's here today, and Lord, we just ask that you'd help us to rise up into all that you have for us. And Lord, I, I pray for anybody in here today who is not a Christian, who's never made that decision to follow you, Lord, that today would be the day where they decide to follow you. And can I just say, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you've never made that decision uh, to invite God into your heart, then today can be your day. This is the day where you acknowledge that Jesus died for your sin, that he took on, you know, on himself all of our sin and, and offered us a way to have that relationship with God. And so today, if, if you've never done that, then can I encourage you just to do that today? Come and chat with me at the end. I'll be at the front and uh, we can help you and lead you in a prayer with that. And uh, we've got some books and things that we can give you as well. But Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you uh, for what Toto being with us today. And Lord, we look forward to a great night tonight. Uh, and Father, we just pray for the boys and girls and for their leaders, Lord, uh, for all who help them, that your blessing would be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.